Welcome in to the Illini cast, Austin Berkland alongside Sonny Verma. We are here and it is a Monday night and we just celebrated an 87-84 win over the Nebraska Cornhuskers. It was an overtime battle, Nebraska trying to play spoiler like The Rock at WrestleMania uh, and they did not. Luckily, our story is still being told as the Illini fans and at this Illini season still have a chance for first place in the Big Ten Conference. Sonny, what are your initial thoughts of this Nebraska victory for the Illini? Uh, hard fought. You know, um, Nebraska, obviously, they their struggles on the road are well documented. But, um, you know, just the fact that we had a, such a poor game from Luke Goody, from Justin Harmon, uh, in particular, offensively, showed that we can still win games that, you know, when let's be honest, a lot of us were kind of wondering, like, oh, God, what's about to happen? Because we seem to be the only team that's not taking care of uh, the home court uh, advantage lately. So, you know, it it was a good game. Um, glad we took the W and uh, on to Michigan State. You know, there's no easy wins in the big time. I mean, it's crazy to think that in Columbus, the Illini shot 41.2 percent from beyond the three point line. And then you look at the Nebraska three-point field goal percentage for the Illini, and it was just atrocious at 26.5%. So the Illini need a little bit more consistency from the three-point line. Um, I thought there was some moments where Brown Underwood wasn't the best coach on the day. I thought Fred Hoiberg had a really, really Bad great Underwood performance did. as a uh, as a coach. But, yeah, Underwood will have some of those clunkers, and – um, Illinois withstood this clunker, uh, but the results don't always tell the full story. I tweeted about it. I said this wasn't the best Underwood game, and there were some fans that were like, but we won. And it's like, listen, like I said last week, I'm an Eagles fan. I saw a bunch of wins. Uh, they were 10-1, and one, but that doesn't tell the full showcase of a season or of a coaching staff. So you still got to have a little antenna in your in your head and be like, Eh, there's some issues here. There's some issues here, guys. Uh, so, yes, the Illini did win, but I wanted to see a little bit better performance uh, from the coaching staff in this one. I mean, our sister uh, podcast with Big Banter, uh, the Java men uh, had a good tweet about it saying uh, that game, our frustrations aren't about beating Nebraska in the middle of February. It's about seeing whether or not Brad Underwood can adjust in game, you know, in scenarios that when we see that the game plan isn't working. And again, for the most part against Nebraska, he didn't do that. So until he kind of shows us that he's uh, capable of making those adjustments, uh, we're just going to continue to be nervous uh, until March hits. I mean, in a game where Justin Harmon played 18 minutes, 0 for 5, three assists, two rebounds, and only four points, I think you needed a little bit more out of. Dre Gibbs Lahorn. I think that was the hot hand for the night. And that just, they, he didn't allow that to happen. Justin Arman was passing the ball in bounds, uh, made a couple crucial mistakes in there. Luckily, the Illini withstood those crucial mistakes. But man, there were some moments where it was like, maybe Justin Harmon doesn't have it on the bench this game. Maybe try giving it to Dre Gibbs Lahorn if he can at least play that tough defense and maybe drive in and get a good dribble drive shot going. At the very least, let someone else throw it in. <laughs> I mean, Harmon almost cost us, 
two possessions. We got lucky the basketball gods uh, bounced the basketball his way that second time where he was able to get the ball. And, you know, I mean, he redeems himself a little bit by making those two free throws. But, yeah, not a great game for Harmon. I don't know how many times we're going to see Luke Goody go 0 for 6, I think it was. I mean, he was – they're wide open shots. This is why, Austin, like I don't feel too bad about this game. I don't feel great. But we missed a lot of wide open shots that game. And, you know, for the the big pictures, we were up 10 with three minutes left. And almost every single time you're going to take that. Yeah, you know, you see the graph graphics, uh, which said we were like a 99% chance of winning at that point. And, yeah, we fumbled the last three minutes. Don't get me wrong. But ultimately, you know, we came home with the win. We didn't play that great. You know, uh, Domask played solid. Shannon played solid. Coleman had Coleman had a good game. You know, Coleman did Coleman things, which is all uh, you can kind of ask for. And then, of course, in my opinion, the MVP of that game is, you know, my guy Ty Rogers. Uh, some of the – like the way he can extend plays, just get those offensive rebounds, give us second and third opportunities uh, over and over again uh, – I can already tell he's going to go down as one of my favorite line of all time. He had five offensive rebounds, which is more than some teams get in a game. I mean, we talk about Luke Goody's shooting ability, 0 for 6, but yet he had eight rebounds. He was still impacting the game in a somewhat positive way, even with zero points off the bench. So the rebounding, the hard work was there. Uh, some of the scoring was there. I mean, if you would have just told me that, Quincy's going to have 12 points. Coleman's going to have 20 points. Damask, 19. Terrence Shannon, 18. I would have been like, oh, Illinois wins by like 10, right? But again, there were some schematic issues defensively that just didn't work. I mean, uh, Tominaga had his way with the Illini. 31 points. That can't happen at home. Um, I know guys get in, in extremely hot streaks like he did five for seven from the three-point line, but my goodness, 31 points for a guard like that when you have Terrence Shannon Jr. guarding him and you have Ty Rogers guarding him and a little bit of Damask. I mean, the defense has to be better, and I don't think the adjustment was there by Brad Underwood uh, in the second half uh, or at all uh, to slow him down. What slowed Tominaga down was just being tired at the end of the game. Yeah, I, I just don't know if there was a strategy to slow him down. Shannon was up in his grill as much as I've seen him up in anyone's grill the last uh, this entire season, essentially. Tominaga was just making crazy shots. Ty Rogers was hounding him, but Tominaga would just find a little breathing room, launch a shot, and they just happened to go in. It's just one of those, like Tominaga did his best Clay Thompson uh in his prime, of course, not this year impression where I don't really know if you could have stopped that. Uh, I'm again, I'm more worried about our offensive shots, just not falling. I think that game could have been a little bit easier played um, at the our end of the game. Play calling was just awful. Um, you know, it got a little attention from John Beeline, uh, the former Michigan coach. It was just Damask and Shannon just kind of taking turns trying to play hero ball. And it didn't seem like anything was really being run for either of them. And I hope that's kind of a learning experience. I hope Brad and his staff and the team are kind of, you know, in that room now trying to figure out, okay, what did what do we need to do different moving forward? Because Nebraska is a good team, but 
we're going to be in that situation again. And, you know, we, we need to be able to confidently protect a 10 point lead with three minutes left. I know you don't want to take away Terrence Shannon Jr.'s aggressiveness, especially um, on the fast break, but there are some moments in the fast break where Terrence Shannon just is praying for a foul. Like there's no like strategy there of trying to score the basketball on the fast break. And I know that when a guy's that size that you can pretty much try to score anytime you want down at the paint, but I would like to see some stop and pops from him. I think he has that ability of shooting um, and the athleticism to do it, but there are some times where he just looks completely out of control and he's just praying that he's going to get bailed out by a foul call. And then on the three point side of things, like there were some open shots in there, but three for 10 is a bad look. And I think that's kind of when you got to realize as a player that, Oh, offensively, this isn't my night shooting the basketball. I need to come up with some creative ways to score. Maybe I can try some booty ball a little bit, use my size um, in my point forward kind of role. Maybe I can find some mismatches here. So I, I don't think Illinois did a great job of exposing the mismatches this game like they have in previous encounters in the Big Ten. So, I mean, let's talk about it. One to five, one being not at all, five extremely. How concerned are you with our team in general? Like, I kind of wish, you know, I know Shannon's dealing with a lot of stuff right now, but him coming back to the team hasn't gone quite as smoothly as uh, I wish it had been. So before I give my thoughts, I'm just curious, uh, is there any cause of concern for you right now? You said out of five, correct? Yeah. I will go with like a 2.1 where it's like the pieces are still there where Illinois can be very successful and reach the heights. Obviously, the AP voters agree having them at number 10 in the country, and that's elite realm. Illinois is number two in the Big Ten right now. So I know the expectations are even higher nowadays for Atlanta fans, but as far as concern level, I'm just not that concerned. Um it just feels like they're due for a clunker every now and then, but the fact that they still won out of a clunker uh, showcases the talent uh, that Illinois has over their Big Ten counterparts. I think I'd go a little higher than you, three, maybe even three and a half, only because not so much about the Big Ten. Uh, I think, I mean, everything I've watched Purdue lately, they just seem to be the cream of the Big Ten. So, the likelihood of Illinois sweeping the rest of their games is not very high. So I don't really think um, we're going to be contending for the Big Ten Conference Championship. For me, the concern is coming March. Because as I talked about it, the reason I was so excited about Shannon coming back was I felt like Damask is not the best player on a Final Four team. But Shannon returning, I'm talking about Shannon pre all this drama, that was the best player on a Final Four or National Championship team. His form since he's gotten back is not the player that he was uh, pre-drama. And so now, I guess, again, I'm not going to say it's four or five, but the thoughts are creeping into my head if this is just going to be kind of a season-long thing where we see Shannon give flashes of what what he is and what he's capable of doing, but... You know, for example, against that Nebraska team, like you know, he he was stripped constantly by Tamanaga when he would try to, as you said, force something. 
Is he going to be able to kind of return to form? I, I don't know. And if he's not, then all of a sudden I'm sweating a little bit more uh, come March again. I mean, here are the teams that are ahead of Illinois in the current AP poll. UConn at 20 and 2. They're just a different beast. They are the best, biggest complete team in the country right now. Purdue with Zach Eady and the way he's officiated, the offensive rebounding, guys like Foster Lawyer and Lance Jones getting those second chance three pointers. That's nearly impossible to contend with. Uh, North Carolina, they upended Duke. Uh, Kansas just beat Houston. We've seen Tennessee firsthand, and Dalton Connect is basically what you want Terrence Shannon to be night in and night out. It's just that elite score. They beat Kentucky. Um, Marquette, Tyler Kolek, same thing. Just that great individual star with some great side pieces around them. Tennessee and Marquette are very similar teams, in my opinion. Then you have Arizona. Then you have Duke. Then you have Illinois. And then they are just above Wisconsin. I definitely think they're a better team than Wisconsin. But you need Terrence Shannon to be Terrence Shannon to beat these top 10 teams that you're going to encounter maybe in the second round, maybe in the Sweet 16, or more than likely in the Sweet 16. And it, it just is hard. Like, you got to have guys like LJ Cryer for Houston, what he can do on a game-to-game -game basis. And then in Kansas, uh, Kevin McCuller Jr. is just an incredible star for the Jayhawks, and they're going to win another conference title. It's just crazy, especially in that competitive Big 12. So, and then you look at Duke. I mean, when you have a guy like Filipowski, 17 points per game, um, rebounding-wise, he does a really good job as well. It, it, it's really tough to see Illinois kind of go above those teams right now because you need to see Terrence Shannon go back to the Terrence Shannon that he was uh, prior to the suspension. And even then, you still lost to Marquette and you still lost to Tennessee. You're exactly right. Like what son, what happened on Sunday can happen again and it will happen again in March. You know, the pressure is going to be high. There's going to be nerves on the court and, you know, we're going to have to count on Brad to make some adjustments, which, you know, I don't have that much confidence in uh, whether he's going to make or not. So it might just come down to the five guys we have on the floor. And when that game is close at the end of the game, you know, yes, Domask has done such a great job being a closer for the most part. But now uh, I think the sleepers, uh, they brought it up earlier today. Is Damask supposed to be the closer? Are we going to have to kind of shift our thinking and just kind of plan that maybe the pre-drama Shannon is not going to be there the rest of this season. So kind of focus on Damask. You know, he's won us games earlier in the year. You know, he, he's obviously a high quality player. And maybe that's just kind of the role we have to go moving forward. You know, he missed a shot against uh, at the end uh, of regulation against Northwestern. But I think it was a good shot. You know, he had uh, the smaller boo-booey on him. The shot didn't go in. And he actually had Shannon open to his left on that particular play. But I just, whatever game plan there was on against Nebraska, where it's just, all right, Terrence, your turn. All right, Marcus, your turn. That obviously isn't it. They they got a plan better than that. I mean, you look at the coach-to-coach comparisons of these top 10 teams. Uh, do you like Brad Underwood more than 
Hurley at UConn. Game like a game manager, like a game yeah, like adjustments game, game, game. Yeah, yeah, in game adjustments. Do you like Hurley or Underwood? I mean, there's not a lot of guys I like less than or more than uh how am i gonna phrase this right there's not a lot of the guys that i'm like underwood than uh when it comes to in-game adjustments I, i'm very insecure with his skills in that area so i'm definitely going her hurley painter or underwood definitely painter uh hubert davis or brad underwood uh i, I can't say i've watched much of davis so i'm gonna abstain bill self or Brad Underwood? Definitely Bill Self. Kelvin Sampson or Brad Underwood? Sampson. Yep, we've seen that in person. Yeah. Uh, Rick, Rick Barnes or Brad Underwood? In March, who knows? <laughs> Rick Barnes is, <laughs> you know, you're talking about two guys who, uh, you know, kind of have that dark cloud over their shoulders uh, once uh, that calendar hits March. So that would be fun to watch to, if those teams uh, linked up again for the second time this season. Not that I want it. Tennessee beat us once already. But, uh, I mean, I think, you know, those are very much on, like, equal levels. Shaka Smart or Brad Underwood? <sighs> See, Shaka had Marquette. And where was he at? VCU? Yeah. Before, like, that was a good coach. Uh, I don't know what was going on at Texas where he wasn't able to – duplicate that success so I'll, I'll i'll lean shaka when it comes to in game i guess uh tommy lloyd or brad underwood see lloyd i mean arizona's got a lot of good dogs on that team too so you know it's not i don't watch much uh arizona games so i can't really comment on that one john shire or brad underwood I think Shire still uh, doesn't qualify yet. I, I'm not sure if I'm going to uh, put him over Underwood right now. So, I mean, that's the top 10. And Brad Underwood seems to be at the bottom of the totem pole in terms of game-to-game coaching of those top 10 coaches. And that is a little concerning to me. Like, I'd rather – I'd love to say, oh, my God, Brad Underwood versus Kelvin Sampson. Give me Brad Underwood. Like, there's just not a lot of guys like that. So, Brad Underwood's going to have to prove it this March uh, to move up those confidence meters whenever you do these kind of exercises. It's just really hard uh, to convince yourself that with Terrence Shannon taking a backseat, Marcus Damask uh, having to step up a notch in March where he's never had experience, and then Brad Underwood, who hasn't led a team to the Sweet 16 where he could just be like, guys, I know the recipe. I know the success that we need to have to get to that sweet 16 level. So that is very concerning in terms of March. But luckily, there is still time for them to develop a little bit more of that. And maybe games like this against Nebraska will hopefully teach them a lesson on how to hold leads and how to do the tiny things that can shut your opponent down before they even think about it. Like, what was Brad Underwood thinking whenever Terrence Shannon made that clutch three-pointer? And then he was like, oh, timeout. Why? Nebraska's on the ropes. Why do you want to give them time to reestablish something, to draw something up? Keep the pressure with them. Make Nebraska use that timeout. Why are you helping them out in that situation? 
that timeout changed the entire complexion of that late second half run. Yeah, it's just tough because I love Brad. You know, we're we're a pro Brad show here. I think he's a top five program builder when it comes to coaching. But, you know, I know you're talking about, you know, whether we can see him make those adjustments later on in the season, whether he learned anything from Nebraska. But we're at, we're at what, year seven now? I, I believe year seven of Brad Underwood. I just don't know if that's in the cards for him. It's just we take – the great, which is, you know, him lifting our program from, you know, the bottom of the Big Ten, you know, playing in the play-in games for the conference tournament, now to being, you know, having more wins than any team in the last four years. So, you know, that's the good. What's the bad is, unfortunately, is, you know, when we're matched up against teams, you know, to, at our level or higher, more often than not, he may not be able to make the adjustments or, you know, he doesn't hire the, the staff can recruit. We know that, but I don't know if they're, he's not listening to them or if they are just not quite as skilled um, in the in-game stuff. And so it's kind of a, you know, you take the very, very good with, and again, I don't think Brad is bad at in-game coaching. I just, I would give him like a B minus, you know, C plus it's not, he's just an average coach who can get by. That's my, opinion. I mean, I mean, it's to the point where you just hope in that pod one where you're with a coach coaching with three other coaches that are very inexperienced. I mean, you look at what happened against Loyola when you had Kofi Coburn, when you had Iotasumu and Porter Moser just completely exposed Brad Underwood. You had Eric Musselman do the same thing with Arkansas. You also had... Uh, Kelvin Sampson exposed Brad Underwood in the NCAA tournament. When is Brad going to expose another coach? I think that's the next crucial factor. We know we can do it against Juwan Howard. Yes. But <laughs> when can he do it against uh, uh, teams that are in his NCAA uh, tournament pods? I mean, if we have an early exit and it's because of, you know, us not making adjustments, in March, man, those voices are going to get loud. That yelling is going to get loud. And, you know, it's, you know, I, there's no way I think his seat even should be warm, but oh, no. there's going to be a very, very vocal minority of Illinois fans who just don't like Brad. And, you know, at, this is just going to give him so much ammunition. I you mean, know? I am a, yeah, I am a pro Brad Underwood guy. I, like, I know. I've been saying a lot of negative things about Brad in this podcast, but generally I like Brad Underwood. Uh, but I think a game at Maryland is going to be a crucial thing where you saw Kevin Willard and Maryland kind of have their way offensively with this Illinois defense. I'm excited to see how Brad has an adjustment from not from not only half to half, but from game to game. And I think that one's going to be a crucial one of seeing how well Brad Underwood has been able to do that. It's a completely different team, obviously, with Terrence Shannon added to the mix. But I still want to see how defensively Brad Underwood can adjust to what Maryland did going to the hole time after time after time in that second half. I mean, Maryland just has Brad's number as it is. Um, you know, that's going to be a tough game, but one that we definitely do have to get back. But 
I mean, you look at our schedule, Austin. What our best win is? What FAU? Uh, yes, because I mean, Northwestern Missouri has taken a completely nosedive. They've not won a single conference game this year, so um, that that's been a huge surprise. We we won a close battle with uh, Michigan State uh, in Champaign, Indiana. Obviously, we struggled with at home. Uh, Ohio State, we beat on the road, but Ohio State lost to Michigan, and Michigan's really bad. So Ohio State's not beating anybody really right now. Rutgers is three and seven in the conference, so those wins aren't necessarily the most impressive. Right. So for me, it's just one of those. You know, you see. Purdue's resume and you're like, wow, you know, they've beaten anyone and everyone that uh, they have to face. I really want to see Illinois beat a good team convincingly before. Admittedly, I'm losing a little confidence right now because I want to see, I don't know, you know, Michigan State, you know, whether they're good or not, I'm not sure, but I want to go to East Lansing and I want to win by double figures. I want to show, I want to be a little bit more confident. If this Illinois, if the game against Nebraska ended up, you know, again, it was up 10 with three minutes left. If we won by 14, 15 points, I would have been a little more content, a little more happy. But that's not what happened. You know, Nebraska obviously kind of ran out of energy in overtime and Tominaga just got tired, thankfully. I'm at the point where I'm a little bit more concerned about what the future of this Illinois team is because – you know, our schedule's not too bad, but that last week of the season when we play Wisconsin at Wisconsin, we we have Purdue at home. I don't want to I I don't want to get blitz blitzed by those two teams. You know, I we're kind of figuring out what Wisconsin is right now. Um, they don't look that great, but their efficiency numbers are pretty solid. And you know, they have a pretty good coach. So I just may not be giving them enough credit. Purdue obviously is going to be a tough game, you know, whether it's at our place or their place. Um, there's going to be a lot of tension in the air, you know, both between the teams and the fans in particular. But I don't know. I just I wish in the last X amount of games that we had something a little bit more convincing to make me feel comfortable about where we're headed uh, the rest of the season. I mean, it, there's been battles like. Ever since the Rutgers game where Terrence Shannon Jr. came back, Northwestern, you've been down. You ended up losing that game. Indiana, you had to battle back where Indiana had like a 58% chance of winning in the second half. Ohio State, there were some issues of struggle there. Luckily, it was a double-digit game, so that's good. But then this Nebraska team, like, yes, they have been they've improved, but they are still not to the level where you're like, Illinois should just destroy them at home like so that was really concerning so i want bill raftery who is ever calling this game i and eagle on cbs on saturday i want them to get so bored that they just start talking about uh um i don't know the best pizza and champagne i want them to be so bored with this game and hopefully terrence shannon continues to grow with this uh new look Illini team hopefully Brown Underwood can adjust some things defensively and maybe get some things creatively going offensively. So this is a, this is a crucial test for Illinois' mental state right now, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad we got the rest. 
you know, now we have five days to rest. I think Quincy's got to figure out what's going on with Quincy because he's not shooting it the way he was a couple weeks ago. Obviously, he had he'd fallen on his wrist, and I think there's there's something there that the staff and he just don't want to admit to. And so having, you know, we had games every two or three days, it seemed like, for the last couple of weeks. So there was no time to kind of sit back, relax, ice it up, you know, get better. Now, you know, we had a little break between um, Ohio State and Nebraska. And now from Nebraska to Michigan State, again, we get a little break, but then it starts grinding again. So I'm hoping whatever's ailing Quincy, he's able to kind of recover from because when Quint, if Quincy's shooting like he was a couple weeks ago and Damascus is playing the way he is and, you know, Shan slowly gets back into the rhythm and, you know, Coleman is making three pointers as, as a five and basically forcing the other five to come guard him out at three point land. That's a really good offensive team. And that's a team with that many weapons. You're talking about four or five guys who can score 20, who can lead the team in scoring any given night. And then all of a sudden, my confidence level gets a little bit higher, a little bit better come March. But, you know, I, I think one of the reasons my confidence is wavering a little bit is I just don't know what is up with him. And they're not really being open with it. So, you know, enjoy the rest. Heal up. Ice, the, ice that wrist. Get better. We, You know, Quincy, we need you back on the floor. Absolutely. I, he's one of the guys that stirs the drink for this Illini team. And... I mean, you're you look at here his recent games, um, twelve points, five points, two points, fifteen points, and fifteen points. So, uh, but the statistics wise, it just doesn't paint a great story where the rebounding hasn't been where Quincy has typically been this hot stretch of the season. So, I kind of want to see him develop that way as well. Uh, just become that physical presence like he has been. So hopefully if there is an injury, rest up. Uh, but if there's not an injury, then that's even more concerning with how he's been playing. And I mean, he's hesitant to shoot that three. That corner three-pointer was, you know, a lock every single time in the beginning of the season. It wouldn't even hit rim. It would just be a straight swish. Now he doesn't even want to shoot it. Right. So. We have a little comment from uh, our boys from the Scarlet Shooter on podcast. Uh, they joined me for the Nebraska preview. Uh, they were at the game. Uh, I'm very jealous. Uh, I hope the State Farm Center and the Crush treated you guys very well. It was a great game. Um, I know a lot of Nebraska fans. It's funny if you're on Twitter. A lot of Nebraska fans are complaining about uh, the officiating, but then you also see the Illinois fans complaining about the officiating. And I, you know, I'm. I mentioned it last night. I think I don't think there's a single Big Ten game now that both sides don't complain about officiating. I think the reality is that officiating in the college game right now is just really, really bad. And everyone thinks that it goes against them when in reality it's just the quality level of the guys in the zebra shirts are is just not that good. I know the NFL hasn't done this yet, but with the influx of cash to the Big Ten, I wish they would just make referees full-time jobs where you can study the game during the day, do your game, then learn from your game, watch that film and recap how you did with a boss. And I don't think that's done 
um, to the best of the, their ability, the Big Ten. So I just learned something today, Austin, and you may not have known this either. I learned this last night recording uh, uh, the most recent episode of the Big Ten show with a Purdue guy. Uh, that show will be released tomorrow, so here's a little um, uh, a preview into it. So college basketball doesn't work like college football does. College basketball doesn't have Big Ten referees. College basketball literally has uh, referees who work in teams who coach or who referee like different games uh, regardless of the conference. So it's it's not a Big Ten thing. It's just a nationwide thing. Well, I mean, you can change the culture by a uh, buy some refs from the, from the pool. <laughs> Yeah, and then yeah. they're they're Big Ten refs. Put a Big Ten patch uh, on the side of their shirts. I I think that's the way you have to go about it because you cannot constantly have this much money, especially with betting going on. You can't have this much cr- critical criticalness to your product with the way the game is officiated, especially with these with these conferences. So. Hopefully, when the SEC and Big Ten come together, then they're like, hey, um, let's buy some officials and we'll NFC, AFC, Eastern Conference, Western Conference it. Let's go for it. This is our league. We'll have our own officials, both in football and in, ba- and in basketball. Our friend Brad P. chiming in saying, I feel like TSJ isn't driving to the hoop like he was before the suspension. And I feel like he, he might be driving, but he, the confidence isn't there. He's kind of just hoping for the foul as opposed to planning on making the shot. Like he like he had a certain uh, level of confidence before all this happened where he was going up to make an and one. Whereas now he seems to be thinking too much in the sense where he's like, all right, this is what I did. I'm supposed to put my head down, go to the rim, and somebody's going to follow me. And it's just not ha- – I mean, it is happening. Um, you know, he's still causing fouls on the other team, uh, you know, which is kind of why there's always a, bas- a free throw discrepancy between our team and the opposing team for the most part. Yeah. He's very good at getting fouls. But, Brad, for the most part, I agree with you. I just think for him, it's kind of, again, it's a mental thing. You know, I have no idea what he's dealing with off the court. And uh, I just don't think he's there yet when he's on. The he court. only he only attempted six free throws against Nebraska, even with the way he was driving to the hole. So, again, he's asking the refs to please say, bail me out, please. It's not happening. And he's just got to be a little bit more creative around the rim um, if he's going to drive in the fast break. And in the half-court game, drive to the hole then, Terrence, shooting three for ten from beyond the three-point line. That's that's not a winning basketball. I, I just don't think that. You just got to gotta do it. You you gotta you gotta drive to the hole in the half court. There you go. I, I learned something for the second day in a row. Uh, Keith Price chimes and says the refs don't work in teams. There's a different combination every game. Well, I see a problem with that. Then, you know, I feel yeah. like that, you know that that could kind of have to do with some of the bad officiating out there. Uh, at least if you're working in teams, you kind of know you trust the other guy that you're working with. You know, to catch certain angles to catch a certain play if you don't know if you can't you don't trust the people that you're working with well all of a sudden it might be a little bit more chaotic so thanks for bringing that to my attention Keith I had no idea um obviously I've learned over the last 48 hours I need to brush up on my uh officials 
knowledge, but uh, that that's unfortunate for me. I think that uh, might be why uh, some of these uh, games are so awfully officiated. So I am a ref for junior high and high school level, so not even at the same level as college uh, or even close to it. But I tend to want to work with the same people over and over again because I know the physicality that my group will allow. But the minute that I get a different set of refs, I'm a little bit more on edge because I don't want to be the guy that's calling all the ticky-tack fouls if my group isn't a ticky-tack foul group. If they two know each other and I'm the one left behind, I mean, it is a weird situation working with a different crew. That's why I love working with uh, with my two guys, and it, it, it makes – it makes it so much easier to ref a game because you can have that constant consistency over and over and over again. I mean, the whole system needs an overhaul. You know, I think all the drama surrounding ED and Purdue has kind of, you know, made the chatter louder and brought it to the attention of a lot of people, like the amount of fouls that they shoot compared to everybody else. But I think everyone's noticed the chatter about Purdue and they've kind of been noticing it more, or at least maybe paying attention more to the refing in their own games. And, you know, there's kind of, it's a confirmation bias type of thing where I really think the refereeing storyline this year has been as loud as it's ever been uh, in college basketball. I mean, did you know the, the discrepancy of fouls in that, uh, Northwestern Purdue game that took place. So it was eight free throws for Northwestern. 46 for the Boilermakers. 46 free throws they attempted. Yes, I know they have Zach Eady. Yes, I know that Hack Eady is a problem uh, for teams. But are you serious? Like, that's like saying Northwestern didn't drive the hole at all which I know Bo Bowie likes to do. So I, I don't really get that discrepancy right there. So there are things that need to change. I think that the leaks have to look themselves in the eyes and think that the system is broken, um, just like NIL, just like uh, the transfer portal. I think referees need to be that third biggest thing that needs to change in terms of college sports, especially at the uh, – Hell, all sports, not even just the ones that make money. Women's basketball, swimming, I don't care. Get the best officials, get the best judges, and adjudicate your games properly. You know, I, I, I'm i just thinking out loud here. This could be one of the things that, you know, I'm sure you caught the news. Uh, it was pretty much a Friday news dump uh, about the Big Ten and the SEC uh, exp- uh, forming an advisory group. Uh, about the future landscape of college athletics, this could be one of those things where, you know, inevitably if the Big Ten and SEC do decide to break off from the rest of the NCAA, they can use, you know, that cash, that all that money that they're making from their media deals to do exactly what you asked for, to, you know, find the highest quality of refs and, you know, make them exclusive to the power to and pay them handsomely so that, they're focused strictly on roughing the games and not, you know, being a lawyer or whatever they're doing during the day job. Exactly. I mean, Ed Hockley, I love you. 
why were you a lawyer when you were refing Super Bowls? <laughs> that's that's who I thought of when, uh, yes. when I brought up lawyer. <laughs> and, and Gene Steratore, I mean, you were refing an NFL game on a Sunday. Then you're doing Northwestern Illinois on a Tuesday for basketball. Come on. The focus has to be on being the best in your in your sport. I mean, these guys are tired, too. You know, they're human as well. You know, so if they're yep. working constantly and then they're I think I saw the average NBA referee runs something like four and a half miles a night. I mean, that's exhausting. You know, for the most part, referees aren't young guys in their early 20s, you know, in pristine physical shape. You know, it tends to be guys closer to my age. And again, you know, you have your mental focus during the day doing something else. And then all of a sudden you have to be catching every little, you know, have eagle eyes and seeing everything on the court. You almost you almost feel bad for them until uh, they screw up one of your team's uh, calls. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they got to do something because you almost feel bad for them. They're put in the position where. They may not even be able to succeed. So let's let's fix the system. Well, Sonny, we have another game coming up on Saturday. It will be on CBS. So you can watch the game for free over and on and on Atlanta, uh this Saturday. So no subscriptions or or even cable needed to watch this game. Um, but we will face the Michigan State Spartans on Saturday. It should be a great one right live from uh, live from the Breslin Center in Michigan. So I am very excited about this game. Very excited to see what takes place. And we will preview it later on in the week. Sonny, it's been an amazing podcast. Thank you for joining me. I think we covered a lot of topics that we really didn't anticipate, but very crucial for where Illinois wants to get and how Illinois is going to get there. I will say uh at the beginning of this recording, we were at 399 subscribers. Come on, one of you guys, just click that button. Let me rest easy tonight and get to that 400 level. But uh, yeah, Absolutely. we're going to have a Michigan State preview sometime this week. Um, we were uh, basically scheduling uh, who we're going to do it with. So we'll have that. And then who knows? Uh, leave us some feedback. Leave it in the comments if you like us doing this live where you guys can, you know, Join the chat if you want us to do another call-in. We're absolutely willing to do that. Um, let us know what you want the Illini cast to be. You know, Austin and I may be co-hosts, but uh, this is content driven by you guys. So, you know, uh, chime in, let us know, and uh, we'll see you uh, later on this week. Absolutely. Sonny, thank you. Thank you to the listeners for watching live, or viewers, pardon me, been in radio for too long but uh share this uh whenever uh the recording stops and then you can share it on social media like follow and subscribe both on twitter and on youtube and uh we'll keep feeding the beast feeding the content to you guys uh this is the alana cast thank you once again